Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds. And today on the pod, I have a great guest. This is going to be a very informative episode for everyone listening. Her name is Amy Epic, and her account on Instagram is called Now Body Wellness. And she is a certified intuitive eating counselor and a health and wellness coach. Amy, thank you so much for coming on today. Ah, yes. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So why don't you introduce a little bit about yourself so our listeners know who you are and um, your qualifications, as well as you were a skater in the past, right? Yes, I was. I skated for 11, 12 years. um, And since then, I've been really passionate about uh, body inclusivity and mental resilience in figure skating in particular. Awesome. That's amazing. So you... You have an MS in psychology? Um, I'm going to be graduating this August with my master's um, in sports psychology. Oh my God. Amazing. Yes. That is so exciting. Wow. So what kind of got you into uh, that field and, you know, with all the information that you're sharing now on Instagram? Yeah. So I originally was looking, um, I also really, really passionate about eating disorder uh, Mm -hmm. prevention, awareness, and um, treatment. Uh, And I was thinking that I wanted to go that direction. And lately I've just realized, you know, my passion is skating Um, and it really has to deal with, you know, performance enhancement and a lot of the tools that you would use um, to, you know, create those buffers um, against the pressures, uh, the body image pressures are the same tools that are used to enhance your performance. Um, and prevent performance anxiety and burnout and all of these things are, they're really interconnected. Right. That's awesome. It's cool that you are kind of diving into a niche. So that would be skating. Um, and you know, our sport really needs it with positive environments for like coaching and training, as well as body image in skaters. It's just such an issue. It's such a struggle, um, in an aesthetic sport, it happens, right? Like it's just kind of, case in point in a way, which is unfortunate because as aesthetic as a sport can be, it's a sport and athletes need to have a really healthy relationship with everything going on in their lives in order to deliver a great performance. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll get into the eating, um, disorder stuff in a little bit, but first I wanted to cover, uh, some of the things that you share on Instagram are coach created motivational environments. So can you talk a little bit about that and how important a positive and supportive coaching environment is to developing young skaters? Yes. So super important. Um, Coaches actually create a context um, through their interpersonal behavior styles. um, And it's found to be a key determinant in a variety of cognitive, affective, and behavioral outcomes. Uh, So for example, when there's a really warm, supportive, you know, caring environment, athletes actually tend to value the Uh, sport more and enjoy it and are more empowered. Um, So to create this environment that's supportive of an an athlete's psychological needs, it's important to, you know, encourage the athlete to take control of their careers and really take initiative um, and providing just non-controlling feedback and acknowledging, you know, their questions, comments, and concerns. I mean, young athletes are still, you know, young little people and they're growing and that they need their coach to you know, teach them how to get in a healthy mindset. You know, it's really, really easy to become your worst enemy. And a lot of times coaches are there to help get you out of that. Definitely. I think uh, basically what you're saying, 
you know, a lot of the times coaches are trying to give constructive criticism and it doesn't always come off as constructive. It can really come off as uh, demoralizing at times. Um, confidence gets weakened, really depending on the delivery of whatever idea the coach has. And so I think it's just really important for there to be a really positive environment and system so that athletes of whatever level, you know, it doesn't need to be a high profile athlete. It could be a kid that comes in three times a week, you know, and just skates for fun, but they need to be leaving the rink with a sense of, you know, personal satisfaction. I got my job done for the day. I can't wait to come back tomorrow or next week. Um, but when skaters start leaving the rink in a negative and like bad way of feeling about themselves, that's when, you know, there needs to be a change. Definitely. Yeah. It's all about those autonomy, supportive and competent, supportive behaviors to really build up their confidence. So a little bit about injuries, you know, when a skater gets injured, it is very hard on both the skater and the coach and, you know, basically the whole team, because everyone is contributing a lot of effort into developing the skater, you know, making them come to competitions, whatever that may be. Um, And so when a skater is injured, it does affect everyone, um, but it is the hardest on the athlete because they're the ones that have to sit out, they have to wait, they have to think about you know, how far they could be progressing if they weren't out with this injury. Um, so what can coaches and you know, support systems, whether that be parents or other trainers, do for athletes who are going through the struggles of injury rehabilitation? done a lot of research on this and research really suggests that coaches can support their athletes by articulating and actually normalizing the physical, psychological, and emotional recovery process. Um, So this might include bringing up how it's normal to feel self-doubt and question whether you're going to be able to make a comeback or, you know, experiencing deep sadness and loss, as well as, you know, a fear of re-entry or, you know, this loss of identity because your sport really is your identity. Um, So it can be really helpful to, you know, reassure the athlete about recovery and the fact that they're they're going to be ready to return to ice. Um, Additionally, it's can be helpful uh, for some to set goals. Sometimes goal setting can be a downer for the athlete if they're not making progress, but you know, setting those very short-term goals that are quantifiable and achievable can help skaters see their progress and feel a sense of accomplishment when they're not necessarily improving at the rate they want to improve. You know, also encouraging athletes to use imagery-based techniques um, such as visualization can also help train their mind-body connection when they're off the ice. Absolutely. I think the whole normalization aspect uh, and preparing a skater's mental attitude for that is so key because I've talked to so many athletes about how when they're in that, you know, injury recovery process and they're waiting, everybody just goes into this like deep, dark tunnel of what am I doing? Is it worth it for me to come back? Why do I feel like this? you know, everybody else is moving forward and I'm stuck in this place and I'm going to be so behind. And everyone has that moment of questioning, should I even continue or should I just give up now? Um, and it's, it's honestly crazy to hear how common that experience is because when you're in that position, you feel like nobody understands. But like you said, it is super normal. And I think that changing the talk around recovery and, um, you know, highlighting that those experiences are going to happen and you just have to be ready for them is the most helpful way that you can help any athlete, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, injury can happen at any time, which is scary and anxiety provoking to think about, but you know, it can happen and you don't know if it's going to be next week or in a few years from now, you don't know if your retirement is going to be free choice, whether it's going to be uh, forced due to injury. Um, it's really about, you know, keeping your options and your eyes open to all the other opportunities outside of skating as well. Perspective, so key. (laughs) Well, okay. So now another little topic um, is skaters that have negative trains of thought, especially while skating. I know in my own experiences, uh, when I was in middle school, I kind of had a little bit of a burnout phase where I was just popping and popping and popping and I couldn't force myself to snap. And my coaches tried everything, you know, being the good cop, bad cop, pushing me, not pushing me, nothing was working. Um, And then I, you know, ended up getting to where I needed to be through my own like personal motivation 
but it took, you know, about six months and that's a long time. A lot of coaches don't know how to handle when skaters are just doing something like popping or, you know, vice versa in another type of situation. There could be a skater who is really, really down on themselves for messing up or keeps hearing feedback that makes them again, think negatively about whatever's going on with them on the ice. So how can coaches help a skater overcome those kind of mental struggles in an uplifting and positive way? Um, So that's a good question. A lot of these negative trains of thought come with, you know, circling, popping, slamming on jumps, being visibly upset. So in these case scenarios, it's really important for the coach to, you know, ask if the athlete's physical needs are being met. So if they're hungry, if they're tired, they're going to be distracted and it's likely less likely to happen. Um, It's also important to go back to the drills and reiterate like their importance and how doing them correctly helps muscle memory and prevents injuries. Um, It can also be helpful for athletes to, you know, recommend distancing themselves from the thoughts and encourage them to view thoughts as, you know, an automatic event in the mind that doesn't necessarily have to influence behavior. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's, that's really great. I think a lot of times also coaches don't always know what's going on, like outside of a skater's skating life. Um, And, you know, there's that saying where you leave everything off the ice, you come on and you skate and then you leave skating on the ice when you leave the rink. That doesn't really happen, right? Everything's connected. The mental game of any person, if something's going on at home or at school or, you know, anything, whether that be a good or a bad um, experience, that's going to kind of leak into everything that you do, right? So separating that isn't really possible. And I think it's important for coaches to really be in tune with their athletes and whatever is going on in their lives. Most definitely. Yeah. So how can coaches best help skaters overcome fears with learning new jumps? So fears of learning new jumps oftentimes is associated with being scared of making a mistake or falling. So it can be helpful for coaches to actually articulate that, you know, falling and making mistakes is normal. Um, It might seem silly considering, you know, it's obvious, like you're not going to land the jump on the first try, but for young athletes, making mistakes can be really scary. And research also shows that many athletes fear getting injured or re-injured when learning a new jump. So using crash pads or, you know, good old fashioned bubble wrap um, can, you know, really help absorb some of the impact. Coaches also have harnesses um, that they can use practicing off-ice jumps is great. You know, it's never a bad idea to remind your skaters that, you know, proper nourishment and rest is critical for a body to be able to perform difficult tricks. You know, if you're not nourishing, it's not going to happen. And additionally, seeing a sports psychologist, if you're really getting stuck on those mental blocks, can be really beneficial as well. That's awesome. I really like that. And I really like that point about normalizing falling because I say this all the time, but you fall way more times than you land an incredible amount. It's probably like 20% land, 80% fall in your entire career of skating and learning jumps. And, you know, like you get to a point where you learn everything and then you can be hard on yourself about whether or not you're landing or falling. But in that like 10 year period of trying to just learn up to like every triple, for example, it is, you know, it's honestly probably 90% fall, 10% land. (laughs) Easy. So talk a little bit about perfectionism, because I know that as athletes and particularly as skaters, we have a lot of obsessive behaviors um, when it comes to being perfect in skating. Yes. So perfectionism, the refusal or acceptance of anything, of any standard shorter than perfection. Um, You know, perfectionists are easy to work with and they're easy to coach, but at the same time, Athletes that are perfectionists often lie on linear thinking and forms of thinking that are, you know, black and white, oftentimes catastrophic and pessimistic. And these uh, patterns of thought can actually cause cognitive distortions, which are these, you know, exaggerated, irrational patterns of thought that are believed to perpetuate um, the effects of psychological states. So if you're upset and you get escalated, just continuing to go out of the window. So this leads to a lot of mentally weak athletes that self-sabotage or even self-destruct under pressure, overtrain, under fuel, and often have really bad poor self-esteem. So, you know, cultivating awareness around words like ought, should, need to, supposed to, all of those words, you know, are 
very black and white and it's attempting, it's about attempting to see the gray areas through critical thinking. You know, critical thinking allows you to form an objective opinion by gathering and evaluating information rather than, you know, just jumping to a conclusion. So asking yourself, is there supporting evidence and does the intensity of my emotions match the fact of the situation? So for example, you know, another good, help, good helpful tip is to use cognitive diffusion. So this technique helps you, you know, see thoughts as they are, as opposed to what they say they are. <laughs> so it helps you really cope with these uncomfortable feeling, feelings and allow you to experience them without getting trapped in them. So for example, if your thought is, you know, I'm never going to land this jump, my coach thinks I'm absolutely awful, then it would be important to, you know, take a step back and you know, add the phrase, you know, I notice that I'm feeling the thought that I think I'm awful and that, you know, my coach thinks I'm awful and I'm never going to land this jump. Um, this creates, you know, takes a step back. It creates a little bit of a barrier between you and your thought and helps you recognize that it's, it's just a thought. It doesn't have to be a reality and that there might not even be supporting evidence. And, you know, maybe the intensity of your emotion doesn't match the situation. And from there you can move forward. Mm-hmm. Cool. So do you have any other helpful hints for perfectionists when they find themselves in that rut of like linear thinking and they just, they can't look at other perspectives or other ideas for how to get there? Yes. Uh, be gentle with yourself. It's so, so easy to get wrapped up in everything we do wrong, you know, and sometimes if, if the athlete is at a risk of hurting themselves, they keep slamming, uh, not committing to a takeoff can be super dangerous. You can land forward. Um, and oftentimes these falls are even more dangerous than the ones that would have happened if you just committed. Um, so in these case scenarios, just being gentle with yourself, really understanding that many, many skaters feel this way and that they're not alone, you know, and talking to the coach can also be helpful. The coach is there to support you, uh, not to, you know, hurt you or harm you. And they're, they're there to help. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, now we'll get into the subject of eating disorders and body image um, and skating. You know, there's such a huge issue in the sport regarding this topic and we lose so many potential great athletes because of things like eating disorders and not feeding your body properly and not having a healthy relationship with how to properly fuel yourself in a healthy way for sports. Um, and, you know, looking on your Instagram page, I like, there were a few posts that really jumped out of me. And, um, one of the statistics that I saw on your page was that in a study of symptomology of eating disorders in Canadian competitive figure skaters, 92.7% of the 41 skaters that were surveyed reported pressure to lose weight. That's crazy. 92%. It's a majority. Oh, like it is for, just for sure. You know, and and you know so many skaters are doing those things. They're limiting uh, their food intake and how often they eat and you know what kinds of foods that they want for some kind of skating to be the best skater that they can be. And yet, you know, another statistic I saw was that athletes that engage in disordered eating behaviors are eight times more likely to get injured than athletes that don't engage in disordered eating. Eight times more likely. Oh my God. You know, that's so significant. So for skaters, you know, how, how should they be handling the pressure of wanting to look a specific way or stay thin for skating? Uh, so super good question. Um, you know, first off, it's important to be gentle with yourself and recognize again that you're not alone. Um, so many skaters feel this pressure to look a certain way or that weight loss is needed to conform to these aesthetic ideals to obtain a better score. But it's, remember, it's important to remember that successful skaters come in all shapes and sizes. And for folks who are in pairs and dance, it can also be really helpful to communicate your body image concerns and your fears of being too big for your partner with your partner. You know, being vulnerable with them can be extremely difficult, but it can also be really valuable in that you might just get an answer back that's, you know, no, you're not too big. I can lift you just fine. It's not an issue, you know, and it or the other could happen and your worst fear could happen. And, you know, yes, your partner is having a hard time lifting you. But in that case, it's about strength and endurance training. It's not about changing your body. It's about making sure you're both strong. I really like that. I think that's also such an untapped 
field with, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of single skaters who get nervous about looking a specific way, but when you add another person into that, so with pairs and ice dance, there's an additional pressure of not only wanting to look good for yourself, but being kind of dependent on your other partner where they have to be lifting you constantly. And that can just create so much more pressure on, um, girls in particular and men, you know, it's, it's both. There's not only girls that go through eating disorders and skating, but yeah, I think being communicative in any scenario, whether you're singles or pairs or dance skater is, um, super, super important. Definitely. I mean, we also have this idea in our mind of what two bodies go together on the ice, Mm -hmm. you know, like we have this pre conceived idea of what two bodies fit. Um, and so sometimes having it, it's important to, you know, really question why, why we feel this way. Like, what is the reason why we think that the girl needs to be like a foot taller or whatever than the guy to be able to do lifts? Like what is telling us all of these things? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very, um, like conventional, like old way of thinking, you know, people like this classic look, but in reality, people, like you said, come of all shapes of sizes, a really strong team can have an unconventional look or different unique things that they bring. And you don't have to be this classic way. And who really wants to be classic? You know, there's a million classic people. Be original, be unique, show that, you know, anyone can do anything and bring something new to the table. So let's break it down a little bit. What are some disordered eating behaviors to watch out for? So I'm not going to get too much into like the food specific behaviors, um, Mm -hmm. not want to mention any numbers or give people ideas, Um, but there are some more skating specific things to look out for as a coach. In these cases, it would be something like frequent body checking. So this would be, you know, when you're skating by the the, the mirrors or the windows, you know, checking your reflection in the glass, constantly adjusting your clothes, uh, you know, never removing your outer layers and making sure you have like a good, good sweatshirt on all times. You know, also another thing that's common is, you know, excessive exercise beyond a normal training routine and a refusal to decrease the activity, you know, also skipping meals and during an ice cut, it's important to be refueling. And if you're not refueling and making excuses as of to why you're not refueling, there's also an indicator that there might be something going on. Um, as well, expressions of depression, disgust, shame, or guilt around eating habits is a big one. Eating disorders are incredibly secretive. And if an athlete or a skater ha- is openly shaming themselves about what they eat, it's likely that it is so much higher in their brain and that, you know, it, it should be something to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of skaters have this thought process when skating isn't actually going well, they think it's because of their body. It's because of the shape it's in, their fitness level, their weight, you know, all these different things. But in reality, there's actually a lot of reasons why your skating may not be going that well. Um, Can you talk about what some of those things are? So many, so many things. (laughs) Uh, So like lack of sleep, high stress, whether that's stress from school, stress from family, stress from a relationship. Um, There's overtraining. You could be feeling burnt out. I mean, difficulty managing emotions, inadequate nutrition, not getting enough water. All of these things are also going to impact your skating. And oftentimes we just assume it's our bodies and, you know, that we're not in good enough shape to be able to land something or accomplish Mm X, Y, Z. I think, you know, the lack of sleep one is crazy too. Even just an hour difference makes a huge difference, especially if you're getting up early in the morning to go train. That was something I I really learned as I became independent after I turned 18 and I went to college and I was like really managing my own schedule. You know, growing up, like your parents can kind of make sure that you're staying on track, but once it's on you, that's something that is just crazy, crazy important. It's one of like your basic needs, right? Sleep, food shelter, water, like that kind of stuff. But it is so, so important to skating. And I think um, especially if your skating isn't going well sometimes, or you feel like your body is lagging a little bit, it's a little slower, it's it's not as snappy, really look at your sleep schedule. I think that is a really important one. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> so why should people listen to their hunger? 
Well, apart from the fact that, you know, food is needed. We need food to live. We need, everything needs nutrients. Um, mm-hmm. Not to mention, you said earlier, by dieting and over-exercising and engaging in disordered eating behaviors, athletes shorten their careers and according to research are eight times more likely to get injured. So when we're hungry, our brain increases hormones that signal to us that we are hungry. And it's this chemical change that makes us notice and think and pay attention to food more. So when we're hungry, it's easy to get distracted. Um, and honoring your hunger and you know, really fueling yourself can help you avoid the sense of deprivation and food preoccupation. Um, and it can help reduce intrusive food thoughts on the ice. So you won't be on the ice working on your program and just suddenly thinking about what you're going to eat during ice, the ice cut, <laughs> you know, like that's not what you don't, you don't need to be focusing on what you're going to eat during the ice cut right now. You know, it's important to focus at the task at hand, but when we're, when we're hungry, our brain is going to focus on food. It's just, mm-hmm. it's biological. It's inevitable. It's how it works. I like that. I'm, I'm literally thinking of myself like scheming. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to have my apples and my pretzels. <laughs> I got the 15 minute ice cut. Let's go. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it, it's also something I've learned even without sport or skating. If I hadn't eaten enough in the day or whatever, and I start feeling so slow, my brain isn't working. I get into a grumpy mood. Um, I feel like I have no energy and I'm like, why do I feel like this? And I usually like tell my mom and she's like, well, have you eaten anything? I'm like, I I could have done a little better. And she's like, go eat and you will feel so much better immediately. Quick fix like that. I I remember my mom actually used to have uh, like strawberries or chocolate with her on the ice as a coach so that in that little 15 minute period of I've already been skating for 45 minutes. I need to make 15 more to get to an hour. And I start really slowing down and I start like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. She's like, eat this piece of chocolate. Quick fix. I love that. It's like a little, I love a little it. sugar for your brain. You got, you got it. Fifteen more minutes. <laughs> yes, food is fuel, and it's not going to happen unless we are properly and fueling our body with ample nutrients. Yes, it is. It is so necessary. I know with some athletes, especially if you are dieting super hard and you're not um, being as nutritious and new, like filling your body with the nutrients it, it physically needs. Um, some skaters who go through, female skaters who go through um, puberty, they have an absence of their menstrual period. So that, I'm going to butcher this right now, amenorrhea. Amenorrhea, yes. <laughs> amenorrhea, okay. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. Is that normal for athletes? No, so – It's becoming increasingly common and so many people think it's normal, but amenorrhea is never normal for an athlete. It's an indicator that your body doesn't have enough energy intake for all of the systems to function properly. So it's also a sign that your body is overly stressed past an adaptive response. And it's likely that your body fat is lower than it needs to be. And and yes, all even skaters need body fat, a certain amount of body fat to be able to have a period. And you know, higher rates of injury are seen in athletes that don't menstruate regularly. Uh, this is because estrogen, uh, the hormone that's required to help regulate the menstrual cycle, is protective against bone loss. Um, it's instrumental in bone formation, um, and it utilizes utilizes vitamin D, um, calcium, and other hormones to effectively break down and rebuild your bones. So when -hmm. your bones are weak, it dramatically increases your risk of stress fracture and bone fracture. Um, And it's estimated that every year without a menstrual cycle, folks with periods can lose more than 2% of their bone density. And it's irreversible. Like you can't can't get your bone density back um, and injuries resulting from low bone mineral density sideline athletes permanently. So, I mean, it's Amenorrhea is never normal for an athlete, and it's always something to be brought up with your physician. Yeah, I think it's super key. I remember growing up and watching a TV show. It was called Make It or Break It on yes. um, ABC yes. Family. It was it was such a great show. I loved watching it. But it, it was all about gymnasts, high-profile, Team USA, trying to make it to the Olympics. And there was some episodes where like, they would be talking about um, how the gymnasts didn't have their periods because they were such – incredible athletes, not enough body fat, you know, all of this different stuff. And so for me, a little kid watching it, 
I thought that was normal. And I was like, oh, I guess if you, if you really are like a dedicated, super strong athlete, like you're not going to do that. Like that's a normal people thing. And I'm, I'm on track to be this top athlete. And so, um, that's probably going to happen to me. And it didn't, which is, I'm so thankful that my mom, my coach and, um, my parents were very adamant about feeding me very well, um, giving me all the protein, all the carbs, all the veggies that I needed to really excel on the ice. Um, but yeah, like information gets distributed without a lot of facts. A lot of the times, um, especially little kids watching TV, seeing things on social media. Um, so I definitely wanted to bring that up because I was one person who thought that was normal when I was little. And I'm so glad that that didn't happen to me. I did too. I totally thought it was normal. I actually thought it was more normal to not get your period. <laughs> so yeah. also periods are, you know, for a lot of young kids going through puberty, they're uncomfortable. You don't want to talk about the body changes that are going on. You don't want to talk about these uncomfortable things that are confusing. And, you know, you're suddenly in a body you don't recognize, you know, all of these things, you know, are, they're normal. Everybody goes through them um, and they're nothing to be ashamed of. It's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Kanan. Kanan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and they're Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code KananCast15 at kanan.com to receive 15% off on your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Kanan, clearly better. Absolutely. I think that, you know, topic of your body changing, you know, going through puberty for a lot of girls, that's very scary. Um, scary for coaches because they don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, but I think there needs to be this new way of approaching puberty where, you know, you embrace it, you see how your skating can become better because you are growing into this new form. Um, and that's not always the case, right? So let's talk about that. How, how should you accept growing into a new body during puberty? Uh, so growth spurts are, they completely alter weight distribution. So puberty is, it's the unspoken enemy, um, <laughs> but this doesn't have to be the case. I mean, puberty is inevitable. Bodies are supposed to change and everybody grows at different times, you know, regardless of body size An athlete is much better off eating for normal growth and repair. You know, if someone isn't in, you know, quote unquote, good enough physical shape to land something, then it would be about strength and endurance training. It's all about, you know, embracing the body that you have and adjusting your technique as needed and your coaches are there to help you and it's it's their job and it's likely that they've already been chit-chatting with their with their fellow coaches about different techniques you mm -hmm. know and if your jumps get wobbly totally normal be patient with yourself as your muscle memory catches up your access is completely thrown off so it'll take time and it's normal yeah i think the patience part is super important because you don't know how you know, your body changes, how fast they're going to happen. Um, it can be kind of the slow, constant, you're like constantly readjusting your technique or, you know, in the span of six months, you can shoot up like a beanstalk and all of a sudden your center of gravity is completely different. And it's going to take a while to get used to that and, uh, get the right technique to help you thrive. You know, I remember talking to a skater. She was a girl that I was working with in Mexico and she grew a lot in, I think the span of like six months, her legs just became super long. And when I was working with her with technique, I myself have long legs. So I was describing to her, you know, for people like our body shape, we need to have longer takeoffs. You need to hold this back, stretch it back, mm -hmm. take your time. Don't just try to rush it and tap too fast because that technique is really for somebody with a smaller frame, a shorter you know, leg span and that's not you. So let's do it like this. And I remember her like telling me, she's like, no one's ever said that to me before. Now I understand why this hasn't been working. Like now my jumps are better and I actually feel the way they're supposed to feel, you know, adjusting the technique is going to take time and it's going to maybe be some trial and error, but many trial and error, <laughs> many. So yes. Um, and, and you know, your body also, I know for me when it was going through puberty, 
you know, I had gained weight, I had done this, I had done that. Um, and it wasn't until two or three years later that my body really leveled out and I was able to like start training in the way that I felt good again. And I felt like I was getting everything the way I wanted to. So it could take a few years for some girls, but the patience of letting your body do what it needs to do is what needs to be widely accepted. (laughs) Yeah. And and your body is where it's supposed to be, you know, whatever, whatever your body shape is throughout puberty is, you know, perfectly fine. You don't need to, you know, alter it or change it to be able to even walk into the rink, you know, like your body is perfectly valid the way it is and you can train the body you have now. Yes, absolutely. So talk about the benefits of intuitive eating and finding food satisfaction. Yes. So, so many, um, before I get too into the intuitive eating, uh, benefits, um, I wanted to just reiterate because intuitive eating has been co-opted so many times over the last year. Um, intuitive eating is a self-care eating framework uh, that helps you learn how to distinguish between physical and emotional feelings and gain a sense of body wisdom. So intuitive eating has nothing to do with a diet. It's not a diet and weight loss isn't a goal. Weight loss isn't even on the table. Um, the goal is to increase this bodily wisdom that's known as interceptive awareness. So interceptive awareness is what tells you when you're hungry, when you're full, when you have to use the bathroom. It also tells you exactly where your body is in the air what you need to do to make tiny adjustments to technique and how to protect yourself when you fall. It's also what an athlete uses to be able to recognize halfway through their first jump, whether or not they're going to be able to do their double, 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 or whatever their combination is. Athletes also have an enhanced ability to recognize when something in their body feels off, when to push and when to rest, when they really, really tune in. So a few weeks ago, uh, huge meta-analysis of intuitive eating and its psychological correlates unveiled like a slew of benefits. Um, found that those who report internal guides to hunger and satiety are more likely to report better mental health and well-being, greater satisfaction of life, and were more likely to treat their bodies with kindness and respect. And additionally, intuitive eaters were less likely to express concern with weight, shape, um, and bind the societal ideals regarding uh, appearance. And bodily function also was found to be uniquely associated with body appreciation and intuitive eating. So this upholds, you know, previous thoughts that those who primarily focus on how their bodies perform, as opposed to focusing on its external appearance, are more likely to show respect for their bodies and honor their body's hunger and satiety cues. So, you know, intuitive eating is this process of making peace with food and healing your relationship and finding satisfaction and finding satisfaction in food and food can actually improve your performance tremendously. You know, when you tune in to your body and you're able to recognize what types of foods feel good before, after, and during you, when you train, you're able to feel more satisfied, you know, and when you eat and your body is satisfied, your, your brain isn't distracted by hunger, lack of fuel or fatigue. You know, when you're consuming enough fuel throughout the day, enjoying foods that were previously viewed as off limits can also make an athlete feel more satisfied. So this means eating dessert, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the quote unquote bad foods, you know, finding satisfaction um, in food opens you up to finding additional ways to cope with difficult emotions. You know, athletes are prone to high stress and anxiety. And for some, this triggers overeating and um, as a coping mechanism. And for some, it triggers under eating and a loss of appetite, you know, and enjoying food promote such strong feelings of guilt and wrongdoing in so many skaters, but recognizing that food is supposed to be pleasurable and that athletes can also reap the benefits of intuitive eating. It's not just for non-athletes. That's awesome. I, I really, really liked that, you know, food is supposed to be pleasurable. You're supposed to eat things that you like. Um, and training your taste buds is also a thing, you know? Um, I think my first year of college, I was eating a lot of pizza and, um, Snickers bars and ice cream and stuff like that. And I loved it. Like my taste buds were addicted to that sugar and that oil and, you know, all the stuff that wasn't necessarily good for me as um, a person, as a human that needs healthy food, not even from an athlete standpoint, just from, you know, my day-to-day energy, not even skating. And it wasn't until I kind of try to kick that um, habit and start eating healthier and incorporating way more fresh vegetables, more like lean proteins 
complex carbs, those kinds of just healthy, normal foods, my taste buds learn to like absolutely love that fresh, that good taste. And now whenever I eat, you know, a sugary chocolate or uh, I have something like that greasy, oily pizza, it tastes good, but it, I don't have that same addiction crave where I, I used to taste it and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is all I want to eat. Yes. So training your taste buds to love healthier, like whole foods is totally possible for people who don't think that, you know, salad tastes as good as whatever. Yeah. Well, and exactly. It's all about this unconditional permission to eat. You know, Mm -hmm. you're allowed to indulge in whatever you want. So say, for example, you have a problem with ice cream or quote unquote, a problem with ice cream. You love ice cream. It would be about getting multiple flavors of ice cream that you like and stocking your fridge with it, you know, and letting yourself indulge when you want to. And it's all about recognizing that, you know, if you're eating ice cream every day, you're probably won't feel very good. Your body's going to be fatigued. You're going to feel kind of lethargic on the ice. Mm -hmm. So when you tune in, you'll recognize, you know, that maybe ice cream isn't the best thing to fuel your body, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's bad. You know, you can have ice cream. Ice cream is delicious. It is wonderful. And, you know, you can have ice cream every day as an athlete. It doesn't matter. It's all about, you know, fueling your body with what feels good to you. Because what feels good to one person isn't going to feel good to another person. You know, you know your body best. And it's all about fueling your body with the foods that feel good to you. Yeah. It's very individualized. Everybody has kind of a set system that works for them, um, especially when it comes to eating and uh, the foods that you like and the foods your body can process, right? Like, you know, for some people, they can't process things like kale, right? Some a green, um, they need to have it cooked or maybe they stay away from it. Um, you know, some people have food allergies, stuff like that. Um, no set diet plan is going to work universally for everybody. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not about what you look like or how much you weigh, Um, It really comes down to how your body is feeling and that comes both being a non-athlete, you know, day-to-day life. If you feel like you're slower, you're not, um, you know, as sharp or whatever. And as an athlete, it's also equally as important if you feel like maybe you're more lethargic, like you were saying. Um, It really comes down to the stuff that you put in your body and how, uh, I guess, nutrient-filled those things are. And it doesn't matter if you have that chocolate, if you have that ice cream, if you have that slice of pizza, right? It just, it comes down to, are you doing these practices every day and do they make you feel good or bad? That's what people need to tune into. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like if, if pizza feels good to you, like if you thrive on pizza, then do it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, about knowing that your body does what it does with food. It's not like it just, you eat the food and it goes directly to your thighs or your stomach or wherever yeah. you imagine it going. It, it goes yes. through, you know, <laughs> like it's a tube. It's, it, it's not, you know, your food, no, your body knows what to do with the food. It's not going to, you know, mm-hmm. sabotage you. And it's also not trying to trick you. Like if you're hungry, Mm -hmm. you're hungry. It's not like you go like, oh, I have to pee. I'm going to wait, you know, two more hours because I just went. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's not what we do. We, we go to the bathroom because it's a bodily function that we Mm -hmm. need to do to survive, you know? So it's the same thing with food. Uh, We just need to nourish and, you know, really fuel and recognize that if we're feeling lethargic or if we're not feeling as energized as we are, it might not actually Mm -hmm. be the food in the first place. Like, yes, it could be food, but it could also be, you know, your sleep. It could be, you know, all of these other factors that we had talked about earlier. So nutrition is just one small aspect of it, you know, and even if we all exercised and ate the exact same Mm -hmm. way, we would all look different. Like even if we all train the same way, ate exact same, we'd all be different, you know, because bodies are different. It's genetics, you know, weight is as genetic as your height is. You can't, you can't change it. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. I know a good saying that my mom used to tell me when I was growing up was your body is at the state that it needs to be in when you eat whatever you want to eat and it doesn't change, you know, like that's how you know that you're eating well, like you're eating things that are healthy and you're not making your size bigger or smaller. You're perfectly satisfied with your hunger 
and your body stays at the stable weight or uh, condition or look. You know, I personally, as a person, yes. like I don't weigh myself. I hate the scale. I've always hated the scale. It's just not like a number means nothing. It's all about how I feel, how much energy I have, whether or not I can do the things that I want to do. And I think getting that relationship with food, it took me a few years really when I was trying to see what kind of diets I wanted to try and what kind of um, foods that I thought were either going to help me or harm me. Trial and error, figuring out what was best for me. And then once I got there, I'm so happy that I, I reached that level of just being able to eat whatever I want, cook whatever I want, order whatever I want, and my body stays at the same spot that it's supposed to. Yes. Yeah, that's known mm-hmm. as your set point. So everybody has like a set point and your set point fluctuates fluctuates like it can be a range too. It's not like it's you're going to be one number for the rest of your life. You know, a set point can be 15 to 20, 30 pound range and it it fluctuates. Your body will change depending on whether it's winter, whether you're stressed, whether, you know, anything. Yeah. <laughs> life, your body reacts to what's going on in your life. Definitely. One of the you know, other interesting stats that I saw on your Instagram are that um, roughly one in three people dealing with eating disorders identify as male. So that's also kind of a taboo subject. Whenever we think of eating disorders, we pretty consistently think of women. We think of uh, young girls going through puberty or, you know, they're going through those growth changes, but Mm -hmm. it's equally like so common in men as well. Why does that happen? And um, why are men more likely to like suffer from the eating disorder in like a significant way uh, than women are? So, you know, eating disorders manifest themselves a little bit differently in men, making it harder to detect by parents, coaches, you know, and health providers who are just unaware of the, like the signs. Uh, So body satisfaction in males is typically characterized for this drive for must like for muscularity, for leanness, as opposed to a drive for thinness and being small. Um, And this preoccupation with body weight and shape leads to disordered eating and practices. Um, And also because eating disorders are seen as a women's issue, there's a lot of stigma and barriers that these young boys and men face, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're also men are more likely to die from eating disorders simply because they lose weight more quickly. They lose body fat more quickly and it, they tend to be diagnosed later if, if at all. So that's actually super interesting. I never thought about it that way, but I've always known I have two brothers. So I've seen, you know, how they can eat like growing up, we had the same, uh, metabolism and all of that stuff. And then once I started going through puberty, like mine slowed down immensely and theirs didn't, right? Like, in fact, when they go through puberty, they can eat even more. Um, and they're still like totally fine, but I never thought about it that way. If they're actually significantly trying to lose weight or, you know, attain a certain shape, their stuff is going to happen so much faster because, we have completely different body types. Our body holds fat in completely different ways. Um, and and it should. Yeah, it they're to. designed to do that, right? It's like, oh, it's nuts. But um, it's it's really important that people actually know that information because it's not talked about. And they're, yeah, we don't learn about it. A lot of people mistake accepting your body for not taking care of it. Uh, that's a kind of mentality. It's like, well, my body looks the way it's supposed to. So I'm not going to try like at all. Why is that kind of the wrong way to go about it? And what does accepting your body really mean? (laughs) So I completely like growing up thought that if I accept my body, it means that I've let myself go, that I'm totally lazy, that I'm just going to lay on the couch all day. But you know, in reality, accepting your body doesn't mean that you've stop taking care of it. Like it actually means that you're adequately nourishing yourself. You know, you're getting rid of this black and white thinking about, you know, my body needs to be this way. And if it's not this way, it's bad, you know, developing this self-compassion practice and acknowledging that the limits of the human body are not flaws. They're actually here to protect us. And so if an athlete can't land a jump, there's a reason, you know, and if, if they can't, and they're not in quote unquote, good enough physical shape, then it would be about, you know, strength and endurance training. And if the athlete has a growth spurt, then it would be about, you know, adjusting technique and being patient with yourself as muscle memory catches up, you know, success isn't determined by 
your ability to keep your body small. You know, it's success is determined by the amount of work you put in, you know, your natural ability and your dedication. It's important to, you know, define and communicate what success is to you with your coaches and your support system. Because, I mean, success is very subjective. For one, success might be, you know, making it to nationals. For another, it might be landing their axle. You know, whatever their career is in skating, it's completely worthy of respect. But it's important to, you know, be transparent about what your goals and intentions are with your support system. Because otherwise they might not know and they might be different than what you actually want. So what can coaches or parents do if they're concerned about an athlete and if they're struggling with an eating disorder? Yes. So as a coach or a parent, you can't treat eating disorders, but you can be there to support them. You know, ultimately the goal is to make a prompt and appropriate medical referral to a healthcare specialist um, familiar with treating eating disorders. But, you know, in order to do this, it's vital to approach the athlete with sensitivity and, you know, with your evidence for concern. Um, it's important to include the impact of their behaviors as well on their current and future performance um, to really you know, convey that you feel like there's something wrong and that something might need to be addressed. Um, the most important thing, honestly, you can do is avoid any conversation about weight, appearance, or any, even like what they're eating. You know. Uh, instead, focus on, you know, changes of behavior, mood, performance, you know, also it can be helpful when a coach um, approaches an athlete to suggest a follow up, like that day, just be like, hey, so we're going to meet up in a week at this time, and we're going to confirm that you have scheduled an appointment with a licensed professional. And, you know, that sets, that sets some boundaries in place. And it's um, sometimes it can't, it's not appropriate or ethical to work with an athlete until they've consulted with a professional. And if you feel this is the case as a coach, you are perfectly allowed to do so. You are allowed to not work with an athlete if you feel that they're at a danger of harming themselves. So if a parent or coach does approach an athlete about disordered eating, what kind of behaviors should they expect and what should they do about it? So, so often it is returned with reactions of denial and hostility. So eating disorders are extremely secretive and it's super normal to get defensive and, you know, claim that there's nothing wrong. And in these cases, it's just about as a coach reiterating how, you know, scheduling an appointment is preventative and how you might be wrong. You know, you can easily be wrong, but it's just something for your own peace of mind and to really assure that the athlete is going to be able to improve their performance the best they can. You know, some athletes are going to be unreceptive. And in those cases, it's all about, you know, just might take multiple conversations. Um, you know, there, in other cases, you know, athletes might refuse to tell their guardians that something was brought up. They might agree that something's wrong, but might be too embarrassed to talk to their loved ones. So in this case, it can be helpful to, you know, set up a meeting together to bring up those concerns together with your parents. Parents can be a huge... <laughs> a barrier sometimes, and that can be a huge cause of frustration. Um, so when the parents are reacting with hostility and denial, it's important to focus, like to shift the focus from, you know, the athlete's mental health to injury prevention, performance enhancement, and learning how to fuel their bodies. If the parent's more um, ego-driven, then focusing on mental health might not be as palatable, it'd be way more palatable if you were to approach it from performance enhancement because, you know, eating disorders destroy your performance in the long run. And if you go to a parent and you're like, hey, I'm concerned about so-and-so for X, Y, and Z reasons, you know, and I worry that their performance is going to decline in a few months because their muscles are not going to be able to, you know, repair themselves, the bones are not going to be built, broken down and repaired, all of these things will, you know, change your performance and focusing on that can be a lot more palatable for, um, especially parents who are very in their child's career. A lot of great points there. You know, right now with skating, there's also a huge wave of younger skaters being the top athletes, being the top in the world. We're seeing a lot of really young Russian, Japanese, even US skaters who are pre-pubescent or uh, they're going through puberty on the world stage and then we see a lot of them drop off, uh, get replaced by a new 15-year-old. What do you think about the possibility of ISU raising the minimum age requirement in skating? 
honestly, I love the idea. Um, training athletes, training young athletes in particular to master these massive jumps when their bodies are growing and developing has a potential to lead to a lot of injuries, you know, especially if these athletes in particular um, aren't feeling properly or if they're not menstruating, these are all just huge risk factors. Um, you know, raising the age would protect skating's reputation that it's a sport that's suitable for adult women, um, not just young prepubescent girls. And, you know, just because young girls can do jumps that, you know, quote unquote, older women, as in like, you know, 19 yeah. to 25, <laughs> which is pa- painful to say that that's considered older. Yeah. But, you know, just because these young girls can do the jumps that older women doesn't do doesn't mean that they're better skaters. You know, we need to showcase mature skaters with well-balanced programs, you know, and these programs are competitive and they're very enjoyable to watch. Uh, like we saw this at Worlds when, oh my gosh, when that announcer mm-hmm. mentioned that Natasha McKay had yes. started learning her double axle until 19 and her triples came in her 20. I was blown away. You know, it's such the the yeah. stereotype is if you don't have your double axle or you're not starting on your triples by the time you hit puberty, you're done, you know, and that you aren't going to have a career and that you're not going to make it anywhere. And, you know, yeah. that simply isn't true. You know, success is how you define it. And it's really what you make of it. Absolutely. Wow. Mic job right there. <laughs> that was awesome. So I, you know, final little thing to share with everybody, uh, self-compassion. Let's talk about that. Self-compassion in athletes is it's necessary to keeping a healthy relationship with whatever sport you're in. So touch on that, if you will. <laughs> yes, it's vital. I mean, self-compassion is so incredibly important. Um, it's correlated with fewer negative thoughts um, and feelings in response to challenges. So that would mean, you know, going out and skating a terrible short program and still being able to recover and skate along of your life, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's also, you know, self-compassion plays a role in building mental toughness. Um, it's actually a buffer against these negative evaluations and it's really helpful in dealing with, you know, sport related stressors, um, whether that's performance anxiety, whether it's body image, puberty, um, all of these things, you know, mental toughness and self-compassion really go, you know, like hand in hand. And if they're used effectively and like an effective balance, then there's a lot of potential to create optimal mindsets for coaching and sports related um, athletic success. You know, there's lots of room for improvement when you're gentle with yourself and you're mentally tough. Be gentle with yourself. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much, Amy, yes. for coming on today. That was yes. so packed with amazing information. I'm sure that all of our listeners, whether they're skaters themselves, coaches, parents, or non-skaters that just like listening to my podcast. Um, A lot of great information. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a complete honor talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. Actually, one more thing. What are some resources that people can use if they need to when it comes to eating disorders? Yes. Um, So you know, NIDA, um, National Eating Disorder Association has awesome stuff online uh, and resources for you. Um, you know, on USFS, they have information as well on how to deal with eating disorders. You know, on my website as well, there's a whole list of, you know, different hotlines and places you can get help as well. You know, and you can always ask a physician, ask, you know, someone you know, eating disorders, it's more likely than not that you know someone. If you're in the skate world, it's pretty likely that you know someone who's struggling. So, you know, just being mindful of what you are commenting and being mindful that, you know, numbers are really triggering to people with eating disorders. So talking about calories and weight, you know, those things just, you want to avoid those things and focus on, you know, what are you really feeling in the moment? If you guys want more information on all of the stuff that Amy talked about as well, you should really check out our Instagram page. She has it all written down on there. Um, it, again, it's at now body wellness and yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. Please let me know what you think. Subscribe to my channel. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Follow me on my Instagram. That's where I'm promoting this. My username is at Paulina Edmonds. And stay tuned for my upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for them. And I can't wait to talk to you guys next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.